Okay, good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shoe Untied. Today I'm very pleased and honored to have with me my guest, uh, the legendary Ray Lanes, a partner at Kleiner Perkins. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Richard. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here, too, in your wonderful house in Atherton. Thank you. So, uh, Ray, let me start by asking you, you know, how you got into Oracle. I know you were obviously president there during a very important decade. How did you get there? How did you meet Larry Ellison? Tell me a little about the origins of that. Well, I was a senior partner at Booz Allen and Hamilton uh, after uh, starting my career in the technology field with IBM and EDS. I got to work for Ross Perot in the, in the mid-70s, late 70s, and that was an exciting time, but I joined Booz Allen in 1980 and stayed until 1992. And um, uh, Oracle had had an amazing growth path in the 80s, basically doubling every year, having gone public until 1991 when it was growing almost too fast that it just couldn't keep up operationally. And so um, uh, the board took a pause, Larry took a pause and said, we need to bring some senior leaders into the company uh, to um, kind of reset and to uh, regain our credibility with customers, uh, to execute better and deliver better uh, and compete better in the marketplace. And Sybase had actually gained a pretty solid position against us, especially in the U.S. So, um, so Oracle hired a, a search firm, uh, Hydric and Struggles, and, uh, and, and asked John Thompson to do the search. And I got a call one day. I'm at a partner's meeting in Washington, D.C. Um, I was responsible for leading the entire technology practice at Booz Allen. Hmm. I got a call asking whether I'd be interested in coming to Oracle. Hmm. And uh, Did you know much about it at the time? No, I didn't. I said no. <laughs> I said I'm not interested. Um, and then uh, he called back and explored a little further as to what, you know, what, the, what the synergy could be between what I could do and what Oracle needed. And I agreed to meet Larry. Uh, and so when Larry and I met each other, uh, I'd say it was a really, really good meeting. Hmm. I think we both couldn't stop talking. And uh, and I think at the end of three or four hours, uh, I felt like um, there, there, I could bring some value to Oracle. And he felt that, um, that I could as well. And I think what he was looking for was somebody that could lead the Oracle go-to-market with a service-based mentality. Oracle's business is really about projects, uh, especially in those days when it was really only a database company. Uh, and so he thought this would be uh, a good model to not only write the ship, but also to go to market and build relationships with these large Fortune 1000 companies. Hmm. So it took me three months to get through a decision process to leave Booz Allen, which I had become very attached to, hmm. uh, you know, was on the board, I was part of the executive committee, I ran the largest practice at Booz Allen, and so I was um, very hard for me to leave, uh, but I made the decision to leave because I think it was a, a really, really good opportunity. Hmm. I saw an opportunity to not only uh, fix a number of things, uh, like the customer relationships and 
competitiveness against Sybase, things like that, but also to build additional businesses. I thought the applications business, the enterprise applications business, was a huge opportunity for Oracle, and it was nascent in those days in 1992, and the uh, services business, the consulting business. Mm. Uh, I had a vision that we could actually build the consulting business to be two or 3,000 people. We ended up building a consulting business that was over 20,000 people. Wow, wow. So, um, so, so I, just, I saw both an opportunity to fix things quickly and, 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 and become much more competitive, especially in the United States, against Sybase and Informix, but then move into other large markets, which Oracle eventually did. Mm. Now, was there something about Larry in particular that you, know, that you found really compelling when you met him? I mean, did he seem, I mean, he wasn't obviously as famous as he is now, but was there something specific about him that really you know, drew you in him and wanted to work with him? Yeah, I think there, I think there was. I think uh, Larry is a fierce competitor, and so am I. I think that's the thing that wedded us together, at least initially, uh, in that um, uh, we both like winning at, you know, just like, you know, winning feels a lot better than losing. <laughs> if we lose, we spend days sulking about it. If we win, uh, it, it, we celebrate. And so I could see that in him, and he could see it in me. Uh, uh, my entire career has been serving customers, selling, servicing, supporting. So it's been the customer side of the business to at Booz Allen really trying to understand Mm. um, a large business and how it runs financially, marketing-wise, all of that. And his business has been technology. Mm. You know, his, his background has been primarily technology. So... As he said to me, he says, look, I can, I can make or break the company with the invention of the right product or the wrong product. You can only hurt the company <laughs> by not delivering it well. Mm. Um, and he, I think he said it best uh, that the reason we hit it off so well uh, for so long um, was that we were both slave, uh, slaves to reason. Hmm. That we were both devoted to rationale, to logic. So if we didn't think, if one of us didn't agree with a decision, we would have to see the logic in it and then agree with it. Hmm. And now, so I think that's, you know, we were married to the logic. Hmm. Now, at the time you made the decision, did it seem like you were taking a big risk or did you really not think about it in like, oh, wow, I'm really, you know, leaving a, a firm like Booz Allen, you know, well known to, to go to this technology company in California? Did it feel like it was a risky decision? You have no idea. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it's a very insightful question because... Um, I'd spent 12 years at Booz Allen. Uh, my family was very happy. They lived in Texas, even though I worked almost 100% outside of Texas. I did have a few Texas clients, but but most of my meetings were in New York and Washington. Um, I had uh, valuable, very valued professional relationships and good friends. I consulted with many of them. Mm-hmm. After I came back from what I thought was a really good meeting with Larry... And the next day, I spent uh, time with eight of his executives. So I had a pretty good understanding of what Oracle was and what it wasn't, why it had hit the wall in 1991, why customers did not like Oracle very, very much, why salespeople were misbehaving, uh, why software was delivered in empty boxes, all the things that were going wrong that they couldn't deliver 
their operations could not deliver to the aspirations of the company. Hmm. And so I thought I understood all that pretty well, and I went back to Texas pretty excited. Mm -hmm. I started having confidential conversations with with friends Mm -hmm. first, my wife, of course, and with uh, then with CIOs and CEOs that were my clients, just to test them. Mm-hmm. And the reason I talked to so many of them is that every one of them said, "Don't do this. <laughs> this is the end of your career if you do That's this." That's funny. All the advice, one hundred percent. Wow. The advice was, "Don't do this," from everybody, including my wife. Um, they either knew Oracle, knew the all the lore, the, 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 the stories about Oracle, or they researched it. And when they researched it, they saw a lot of nasty stories. Hmm. Um, and so everybody said no. I, there was one friend and professional that worked for me at Booz Allen. He was a partner in San Francisco. And I consulted him. I had developed a special relationship with him. And he's the only one that said, do this and take me with you. Really? And I did. And that was Robert Shaw. Now, mm. Robert is deceased now, but uh, but uh, Robert came in to run the services business. Huh. He understood Oracle really well because hmm. uh, he lived in San Francisco, had grown up in Silicon Valley. And, um, and so I basically made this decision, which I kind of listened to my friends and my colleagues for a, and my wife <laughs> for a period of time. But I just couldn't offset the passion that I had for, you know, I'm, I'm not in the oil business, so living in Texas made no sense to me. Mm. I am in the technology business and will be for the rest of my life. And so mm. Silicon Valley made a lot of sense for me. Mm. Oracle had big problems that I thought I could fix. Mm. And if I fixed those problems, it was a real wealth creation and professional satisfying, mm. you know, kind of a, of a thing. And so uh, all of that compensated for what I thought were some of the problems hmm. That, hmm. that I was told about. So I made the decision against everybody's wow. advice. Wow. So w- when you started Oracle, was it like, you know, a duck to water or was it rough going? <laughs> I mean, tell me how it was when you started there. I would say there was a lot, um, lot of things I knew how to do and a lot of things, maybe more things, I did not know how to do. So I had never worked in a software business before. Larry knew that. Uh, he gave me some help. Um, he, he, he hired or moved some people in underneath me that would be helpful. But he doesn't realize, I think, even to this day, maybe he does, that he was actually the most helpful. Hmm. Because all I had to do was observe him. Hmm. So my first year when I knew nothing, you know, he would tell me, look, here's how the quarter's going to go. I just Because <laughs> he could see it. And, uh, and so every Monday we... We met uh, in an executive committee meeting, and and so I would learn through osmosis. I'd learn by observing. I'd mm. learn through conversations. Mm. I'd learn the software business. Um, there were a lot of um, people that needed to go, mm. people that just put themselves before the company, that uh, were in it to make a lot of money for themselves and not worry about the future of the company or their customers, <clears throat> and so... A lot of people needed to go, hmm. and so I, I, th- I think um, the betting odds were in the first couple of months that I wouldn't last. How could Larry hire a consultant? Uh, 
Mm. No one looked back in my background to find out at IBM and EDS I was not a consultant. But how could Larry hire a consultant to run the Oracle Salesforce? Mm. You know, it's like putting a lamb in charge of a bunch of wolves. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, and that wasn't the case. I you know, quickly kind of lost my consultative advisory kind of mindset to share things and you know, gain advice to saying, I need to make decisions, I need to make them quick. So I was decisive about people that needed to go. I promoted people that looked like they were doing the right things. Uh, I hired uh, a consulting firm, not Booz Allen, I hired McKinsey to gather a lot of data. I didn't want a strategy, I wanted a lot of data in the marketplace about what customers thought about us and data about what our, so I could show the sales force Every salesperson told me he never lost. They never lost to Sybase, yet Sybase was growing at sixty percent a year, and we weren't growing. Hmm. And so something was wrong with the data. And and so I collected data, then they couldn't refute it. And so it didn't. I expected the turnaround would take at least a year, maybe two years. And we knew before the end of the first year. I came in the first Q one of of uh, of 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 a fiscal year and so I had a full year to operate and I'd say going into at end of Q3 which is normally our tough more most difficult quarter going into Q4 I knew we had it turned around Hmm. I knew it we put we put uh, brand new business practices into place we had a brand new management team in place Um, we we had repositioned ourselves against Sybase Hmm. Uh, the company had delivered, not my responsibility, but the company had delivered Oracle 7, which was a product that was going to deliver some of the advantages that Sybase had, like stored procedures, you know, essentially a programmable server, mm-hmm. um, uh, triggers and, and, and what have you. So that would level the playing field a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, we tore up a lot of contracts that the Salesforce had written with some big customers first customer I met at Merck, Charles Popper at, at Merck, all he wanted, he wanted to tear my hair out and, uh, <laughs> and his hair too. Uh, and uh, he says, I just can't operate with this contract. I can't operate with your salespeople. And everything. I tore the contract up right in front of him, just tore it up. And I said, let's start over. Hmm. I did that with a lot of customers. Hmm. And, uh, hmm. and so we built uh, GE, General Motors, had never bought a dime from Oracle. Uh, we built those companies into $100 million companies, uh, customers, mm-hmm. excuse me. So when you look at, look at your um, time at Oracle, you know, what are kind of like, I mean, you, this is probably one of the highlights, but what are kind of like maybe the two, three real highlights in that, the time that you were at Oracle, would you so say? So I think the, the first highlight was making Oracle USA so successful. I came in as president of Oracle USA. Mm. Uh, so Jeff Squire was running the rest of the world. Um, and so uh, Oracle USA was the failing component. It was 50% of the business. And so performing that turnaround faster than I thought I could uh, do it uh, was very satisfying to me, and it felt very good. Uh, Larry wrote me a wonderful letter, hmm. an amazing letter that I still have today about how he thought this was, you know, so hard to do and so surprised it was turned around and so feeling so good about it and uh, and that that felt good it was a great accomplishment um, he asked me to then uh, be um, I think the title was executive vice president of worldwide operations 
essentially run the, the world's uh, uh, operations. That, and so I went to work on Europe. And anybody that's had to take over a European business operation knows that they, they tend to be very independent by country, by language, which Oracle was. Oracle was formed in Europe and many, many places around the world as a subsidiary. So you go and you, 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 you take the product, Oracle database, and someone in France or Germany uh, wants to sell that product, and so they call it Oracle France. It's an independent company that then becomes a subsidiary. But the relationship is like, well, I will sell you product that you would then resell to customers. Mm -hmm. So these grew up as independent operations. Some of them had different logos. It didn't have the Oracle marquee. You know, France is a blue triangle. <laughs> and, and so I thought, okay, the issue here is we can't scale if we allow each country to have its own CEO, its own business operation, there's no, there's no consistency in services, no consistency in support, no consistency in education, or in sales. And so uh, what I had to do was transform uh, Europe into one organization that had consistent functions across it, and that meant that each of the CEOs would have to convert themselves to VP of sales of Oracle Corporation. Hmm. Um, I was totally unsuccessful <laughs> at, at getting anyone to convert, and so had to hire new people. But uh, we went through a three-day meeting without any of us taking a shower. It was, uh, it was called Oracle Maastricht. It was right after the Maastricht uh, Treaty uh, in Europe, you know, one of the European Union treaty meetings. Uh, we had uh, the year after that, so we called it Maastricht. It was Oracle's Maastricht. And, uh, and literally converted from a regional operation by country to a global operation hmm. by handing functions from the country over. And so we had worldwide consulting, worldwide support, worldwide education, worldwide alliances. The only operations that remained local was sales. Hmm. And so we were able to do that peacefully. And I have in another room over here, I have a caricature that was drawn during that meeting wow. that shows all the folks that were in that three-day meeting, including Mark Benioff, who ran mar marketing. And it shows each one, each one of them with the caricature that they had during that meeting. What were they doing during the meeting? Hmm. So that was a huge success that started Europe on its way to now scaling. Hmm. So um, uh, a major success. And then I think the third one would be the growth of the application business. Hmm. Oracle struggled in the applications business. Oracle by it, back then in the 90s was not, uh, didn't have the DNA of an application company. Oracle's a technology company. And so use the technology tools to build applications, but we didn't really understand the difference between a general ledger and an MRP system. Okay, mm -hmm. And so we had to learn all that. And we had to go compete against one of our biggest customers, SAP. So all of that was a very difficult thing to build, to deliver to the marketplace, to get the sales force right, because database people couldn't sell applications. Uh, and also to get the relationship, especially in Germany, with SAP. Hmm. And so I'd say that's the third biggest one. And you know, all of those things added up to 
when I, when I entered Oracle, I think we were about a $700 million company uh, with a market cap of around $2 billion. Uh, and when I left, we were a ten or eleven billion dollar company mm. with a market cap of near two hundred billion. Wow! Now, was, how did that compare with your expectations? Did you did you no. think it was going to be that no, successful? No, no, I mean, what, no. what did you think going in? Like, I'll remember this is really inside baseball, but I remember uh, a second trip to Oracle before I took the job when my wife came out to San Francisco and we were just exploring, still trying to decide and. Uh, and I had a, a little piece of scratch paper, and I said, look, this is what the offer is, okay, mm -hmm. to come in here and be president of Oracle USA. If I can just turn this around, and the stock was around 14 or $15 a share, mm -hmm. that, that equates to something like $0.42 cents a share today, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> after all the splits, but... I said, if we can just simply move these shares to to twenty five dollars, mm -hmm. so from fifteen to twenty five, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then this will be more money. It's not about the money, but it is about the money. Everybody knows that, and so so especially when you're talking to your wife, is it is this worth the risk? Mm -hmm, is it worth mm -hmm, uprooting mm -hmm, the family? Mm -hmm. Is it worth all those things that she may find herself in a neighborhood that mm -hmm. you know doesn't doesn't suit her? Is it worth it? And you do the math on the number of options at ten bucks increase per share, and it made sense. <laughs> and the company, of course, did way better. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But how about even just like the size of the company? Did you think Oracle was ever going to get to that size, the, that size revenues well, or anything to, like that? When I talk to people today, you know, and I tell them a story similar to this. People say, "What?" Oracle was in trouble. Oracle mm, was funny. going down. Oracle was being beat by Sybase. Oracle was, you know, almost, you know, actually we had a point before I came in, actually, Jeff Henley came in before I did. The company had run out of cash. Wow. So it was, it was in big trouble in 1991. And so what did I think? No. I thought if we could get it, you know, I, I was just looking to grow at 20% a year, 25% a year. And I think we had, but I did think we had an application opportunity and a consulting opportunity. That was to me, the big prize. Mm -hmm. And Larry said to me, <clears throat> just after I started, he said, look, I'll let you do anything you want to do. If you kill Sybase. <laughs> Cause I wanted to start the application, but mm -hmm. now we had applications. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. Je um, Jeff Walker had, uh, had started that division so we had some financial applications, but it nowhere where it is today. And I said, I want to start the application. I want to get that thing grown because I think it could be as big as the database business or bigger. And then the services business could be very attractive uh, as well. And so um, so I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't paint a picture in my head of how big it could be. But Larry, very focused competitor. Interesting response because at first when I heard his response, I said, why would that be his response to me wanting to put together a business plan to grow the applications business? Mm. No, you have to kill sight. Well, what he's telling me is I want you focused. Mm -hmm. I want you focused on killing our number one competitor. Mm -hmm. So it was two years later mm. and he woke me up. I was in uh, the UK sleeping middle of the night. But I was there for business, and he woke me up, and he said, it's over. He was screaming at the top, it's over, it's over, it's over. <laughs> and they had missed their Q1. Wow. So I basically missed it. And he said, 
never coming back. Hmm. Well, what do you think was the toughest decision you had to make during your Oracle time as, as president, would you say? The toughest decision. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't view decisions as being tough, mm. uh, especially if you collect data, involve a lot of people, get the best advice. In other words, you already know that if I implement this decision, I know people will come along. Um, obviously, there were there were some people that I terminated mm. that were tough. Mm. Uh, they. You know, one of them is one of my best friends today, hmm. uh, but it wasn't the right time for him at hmm, Oracle, hmm, hmm. and um, and so he went. You know, another one went on to be a CEO of another company. Hmm, hmm. Uh, so, so, but those were those were difficult decisions. Hmm. Uh, making the decision in Europe, I could have said in Europe, okay, I've got really good CEOs in the UK, Germany, and France. These people had built. The businesses there. I can't take any credit for it. They had built really strong independent businesses. The guy who built Germany built the SAP relationship. So I said, it's my decision, my direction that we want to build one Europe. Hmm. We need a head of Europe, and you guys are going to need to figure out how to be VPs of sales. Hmm. It was a tough, tough decision. And taking the risk that I would lose all of them. Hmm. Which I did. Was there any, did you ever have any major disagreement with Larry on anything that you had to fight him on or, you know, disagree, major yeah. disagreement where you had to? Yes, of course. Um, I think the biggest disagreement with Larry and I had was over the applications. So, mm. so the applications were built. Again, this was Oracle's real, the real first scaled effort to build ERP applications to compete against the likes of SAP, Siebel when he left Oracle and built Siebel Systems, and PeopleSoft. So those were our main competitors. Um, Salesforce hadn't come along yet. So in in the in the nineties, and um, and I thought we were losing ground, and I thought we were losing ground because I thought the application division had the wrong leadership. Hmm. It did not have a senior executive who was a developer of applications that could understand what the customers needed and what what he he needed to build to, to compete against SAP. So SAP had a global product. They had much more experience in the in the in the business, but SAP could offer customers in it, like global customers like GE in Italy, in China, in Japan could offer the functionality, and we had to make it up. And so, so Larry and I just disagreed on this hmm. leadership, okay, and who should be leading. Hmm. And I had suggested, you know, many different things of how we could do it better. I, I wasn't, I don't know if I was right or not. Uh, he suggested that we do things differently in sales. So the tension started to grow uh, over applications. And, um, and I think, again, going back to the <clears throat> comment I made about being sl both of us slaves to reason, mm -hmm. I think we both eventually came to the same conclusion mm -hmm. that our application division needed to be improved greatly. Mm -hmm. I made some big mistakes. I went out and created partnerships to supplement the functionality we didn't have. Mm -hmm. That was really hard to deliver because you became dependent on these partnerships that were small companies 
that they could hold you hostage because you're trying to deliver, let's say, a, a warehousing system or trying to deliver a, you know, whatever it is that we wanted to attach onto our basic financial and manufacturing system. That was a mistake because it made us uh, sell well, sell better, made us look better to the customer. In fact, a lot of the customers liked the answer of having best of breed integrated together as opposed to one company trying to do everything like SAP was doing. But it was hard to deliver. Hmm. And I think Larry came to that conclusion before I did. Hmm. It was just because he, he's a product developer. And he just, he, he, he was right. Hmm. It was just almost impossible to deliver, especially if the small companies weren't cooperating. Mm-hmm. If we were only 20% of their business, they could choose to not put a product feature in we needed until two years from now. Mm-hmm. So it was really tough to coordinate all the all, all those different things. Mm. Um, I was right about the leadership of applications, mm. and he eventually changed the leadership of applications. So we were both right, but we ne- we couldn't get on the same page soon enough to kind of you know, save it, and I, I left. Hmm. I, he, he wanted to have full control of the company to make these kinds of decisions. I said, then it's time for me to go. Oh, interesting. And we just agreed. We just agreed it was time. Huh. And did you feel like, I mean, other than that, I mean, did you feel, also feel like you had kind of had enough time at Oracle? Like, was it also like a good, no. or was there a lot no. of stuff you still wanted to do? I would have do? stayed chief operating officer, president chief operating officer at Oracle the rest of my life. Hmm. I didn't care to be CEO. I didn't want to be CEO. Hmm. I thought Larry was a great boss. I think he, you know, I think it was a, it was a very good team. Hmm. And, uh, and I thought he, I think he got, and, and it was a team. I had a lot of power and a lot of um, authority inside Oracle. And so did he. He owned 25% of the company. Mm-hmm. So when he wanted to change directions in the company, and the internet was the big, the internet had come along, the internet was going to change the architecture of our systems to deliver on a thin client. He wanted us to do dip things differently uh, in the business, and I just thought our applications weren't ready to do it. Mm. So if we disagreed on our application's ability to actually go to market or even run ourselves on our own applications. He couldn't get that implemented hmm. without my agreement. Hmm. He was frustrated about that. He said, I need to be able to, hmm. as CEO, be able to make these decisions. And I said, you're the boss. You're the CEO. Make, he says, I can't. You're like mom and I'm dad. Hmm. Okay. And the kids come to mom or, or if I say, we're going to go this direction, the kids come to mom and say, Hey, Mm-hmm. Bob, you know, you know, and and so I think it just got to the point where I, I, I said, Larry, I think it's just not working. Hmm. And he said, I agree, it's not working. Interesting. So it was a, we were both really wealthy people. Hmm. We were both, it was, if it was not going to be a fun thing anymore as a team, and it wasn't, it was, it was like, I was irritating him. Mm. with all of my criticism of the application division. Mm. And he was irritating me by saying, well, I think we ought to have <clears throat> Randy Baker's support team running on our CRM. I said, our CRM is not ready. We cannot run. 
If you don't have Randy Baker agree to put our system in and throw out that third-party system he's using, I'll fire him. <laughs> I said, well, he reports to me. No, I'll fire So that's, those discussions became like it pretty normal in the course of business. And the day I left Oracle, I, of course, I had to announce it to the market, and I just said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave Oracle. And, and uh, Steve Jobs called me, and he said, look, I know you two really well. I'm surprised you two lasted this long. And I said, really? That surprises me. Hmm. Because I think we were a really, really good team. Hmm. He said, yeah, but you both are strong-headed. Hmm. And that was eventually going to do you hmm. in. Hmm. That this whole thing of being slaves to reason, hmm. well, you weren't compromising. Hmm. Hmm. Larry wasn't going to compromise, and you weren't going to compromise. Hmm. You were not going to compromise on the application leadership issue, and Larry was not going to bend. He was not going to compromise on using our own systems for our own support function when we had a lot of severity one bugs that we couldn't handle. Hmm. And so we just became intractable. Hmm. And we weren't slaves to logic anymore. Mm-hmm. We were intractable in our own opinions. So what was it like immediately leaving Oracle? I mean, did it seem almost weird? You've been spending so much time. You, you were probably so, it was such a part of you, the business and everything. Like, what, would that, what did that feel like? Was it, it was kind of stra- weird? It was, it was strange. Uh, Steve Jobs said, take a year off. Just kind of like, you don't need to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just take a year off and just kind of come back and assess things and all that. And I did not take his advice at all. I just I don't know why I didn't. I, I I could have done that. I probably should have done that just to assess what what. So I immediately started getting calls to be CEO of this or CEO of that. Very large companies, oh, uh, much larger than Oracle. Um, uh, to do things in the government, I was like, wow! I never thought I could do that. Hmm. You know, and hmm. uh, and I saw all these things, and then. Um, a couple of the partners at Kleiner Perkins called me and that knew me. One of them worked for me at Booz Allen, mm-hmm. and the other was uh, John mm-hmm. Dorr. And they said, "Why don't you come over and hang out over here?" Just you know, just like they had funded Sybase, they did not like Larry, <laughs> you know. So they they had basically saw their baby shot down by me and by Oracle, and and so um, so they said, you know, look. We'd love you to come over here and spend some time and see whether this is a business you would really. All during the 90s, I thought venture capital was not a real business. Interesting. I said, who would do this for a living? <laughs> uh, startups. Because I was, I was trying to scale a company with 40,000 people. And, so, and I was fighting venture capitalists all the time in the late 90s, especially from stealing people away from me. Mm. So, so uh, I didn't like venture capital. Well, I... So I knew John, I knew Brooke, I knew Vinod, I knew Doug McKinsey, I got to meet Kevin Compton, um, Will Hurst. It seemed like a great team, each of, each of which had uh, their own reputations, and they had built a great firm. And I kind of, after hanging around for a month or two, I kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here with the New York Yankees. Hmm. I said, so why wouldn't I do this? The other thing, and, and, and so I think that was 25% of the reason to join Kleiner, maybe 40% of the reason to join Kleiner. The other bigger reason was I had, through 
EDS, Booz Allen, and Oracle had traveled 80% of my time. Mm. So I was like constantly on the road. Mm. I have three grown daughters today that just don't remember me being around. Mm. We are very good friends as adults. Mm. We are, you know, total, I'm totally in their life now. Mm. But I wasn't at the dinner table. And I used to laugh and say, well, it's really the quality of time you give your kids, not the quantity. Mm-hmm. That is a joke. Mm-hmm. That is just nothing. It couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. It is quantity of time you give them, not quality. Because they're not ready when you say, Saturday morning, I'm here to give you some quality time, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what they're, uh, that's not their lives. And so, so uh, 1998, uh, my wife, uh, Stephanie, and I had a son. And in 2000, had a daughter. 2000s a year I left Oracle. Hmm. And I said, you know, I want, I, th- what appeals to me most about venture capital is there isn't a lot of travel requirement. And you can be home for dinner. It was a personal thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lifestyle business. It, you have to work very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was synergistic is most people in venture capital joined it at a young age. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Venture capitalists should be old guys like me. <laughs> it should be you know, people that can help these young entrepreneurs be on their board and give them real help with how to scale a company. And so that seemed to make a lot of sense to me. And I wondered why, you know, uh, Doug McKenzie, who was a consultant at Booz Allen, you know, why he made a great venture capitalist. He was a smart guy. But I look at most of the venture capital industry and, yeah, they had – an operating job, maybe they worked in a marketing department or they worked in a finance department or something, but they weren't they weren't CEOs or presidents of scaled operations. They you know, just the amount of operating because they they joined venture capital when they were young in their thirties mm-hmm. and forties. And so I was coming into it at fifty-two, mm-hmm. fifty-one. And so I had a lot to give. Mm-hmm. I had a lot to help. And I love this. Mm-hmm. Is that the fact that these entrepreneurs would not be at all threatened by me to come in and give them some really hardcore advice about how to run a company. Hmm. Because they said, you have credibility. So I'm, I'm willing to, hmm. you know. And so I rolled up my sleeves and I, I became, I think, much the kind of venture capitalist that Tom Perkins and Eugene Kleiner were. Hmm. They were operators that were there to find a good idea but then help build the company, mm-hmm. roll up your mm-hmm. sleeves and build mm-hmm. the company because they knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I liked that style of venture capital. It really, to me, was being an operator. I think I'm not the best venture capitalist in the world if venture capital is measured by how well you can triage good companies from bad companies, how well you can you know, pick, you know, good ideas and manage capital and all that. Because I'm, I'm an operator. I, mm. I, mm. I assume after I make an investment that this company is going to go to the moon and we're going to take it there. Mm. Did you find that you actually almost, I mean, it sounds like, would you go as far as say that you actually enjoy being a venture capitalist mentor even more than being an operational CEO or you wouldn't quite go that far? A great, great question. Uh, if you'd asked me that, if you'd asked me, do I enjoy being a consultant? more than an operator, I probably would have said yes when I was at Booz Allen. Mm. When I was at Oracle, I said I enjoyed this much more. Mm. I like being an operator. Mm. Uh, I had to learn, as I said, you know, make fast decisions, not slow. It, in consulting, you make slow decisions. Mm-hmm. You make, mm-hmm. you, you, everybody has to be considered. You have partners that get really 
irritated when you make unilateral decisions. Um, so I would say when I went to venture capital, yes, I enjoyed that. So I guess I'd say I enjoyed the job I'm in. <laughs> but if I had to line up all three of them side by side, yeah. I'd say Oracle. I'd say I enjoyed the combination of a turnaround, high growth, hiring great people, um, forming a team that rode in one direction, right. that really believed. Today, uh, I've nothing makes me feel better than I, I I don't go through maybe two or three days. You know, it almost happens every day where I hear from somebody that said that was the greatest time of my life. Hmm. Now, it was the greatest time of their life not because of me, but I hope I helped that. Mm-hmm. It was a high growth period, data relational databases, ERP software. You know, it was it was a a great time. Uh, to be doing what we were doing, and I, I allowed young people to. I helped them uh, be leaders. Mm. Um, Liz Wiseman decided to write a book after I left, and she left. Uh, she helped me with a lot of executive leadership training, uh, and she called it multipliers. Mm. And she said, "I felt like when I before." You came to Oracle, you go into a meeting with an executive, whether it's Gary Kennedy that ran sales or Larry Ellison and everything, and you were told, if they didn't agree with your decision, you were told how stupid you were. Hmm. You know, it's like, how, how could you bring that stupid decision in here? <laughs> you know, sent out of the room, embarrassed. So, Ray, you did it differently. You, you, you'd ask, say, okay, we could tell you didn't agree with the, with the decision or the, with the recommendation. But you would ask, uh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about doing something? Why don't you go back and recook it and go talk to somebody? And so I felt, imp- I felt silly, stupid when I went out of the room, but I felt empowered to come back. Hmm. And so she wrote this thing, kind of this book, contrasting multipliers to diminishers. Hmm. And that to me was an exciting hmm. To, 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 to have people mm-hmm. see their potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Benioff worked for me a, uh, a lot. Uh, you know, uh, Sano-san in Japan uh, created an incredible business in Japan that we mm-hmm. took public. Um, these people, I think, Polly Sumner, who's now at Salesforce, these people, Karen White, who ran marketing, um, George Roberts, who ran the U.S., uh, George Kadifa, these people all felt like they had a responsibility that was beyond their years. Mm, mm. And I was there to help them grow into that. Mm, mm. And that is, there's nothing more exciting than mm. that. Now, you obviously left Oracle. You're obviously very young, still 50-something. Did you... No, it, Oracle, I was uh, 42. Oh, you le- for, when, you, when you left 42 Oracle? 42 to 50. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, but did you, even after you became venture capitalist, did you not consider going back and being a CEO of a large organization? Was you, Were you tempted along the, along the no, way at any I, time for that? Yeah, I did. I didn't initially because I really wanted to be, it was personal. I, I, I really needed to stop traveling and, mm-hmm. and build a life with the kids. And I can say today that RJ and Tori, my two kids, I've been in their life every day. I'm not the softball coach at school. I don't even help them with the homework. It's not my, okay, I'm working late, mm-hmm. but I'm working late at home. Mm-hmm. So if they want to say something to me or we want to watch a TV program or something, I'm with them, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. That was really important to me. But yes, offers came along. 
would you like to be CEO of this? I, it, it, I'd say when I was three or four years, five years into Kleiner Perkins, mm. I went through, you know, I had the offers at the beginning and said, well, maybe I should do that. Maybe this is just temporary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I really shouldn't be a venture capitalist. Maybe I should go do that. And it was the kids that kept me at Kleiner Perkins. Kind of in the middle years, it was, I think I understand this business. Hmm. And I think there is a way to enjoy running a business uh, kind of vicariously through the founder and CEO. I get to do that. And I go home. (laughs) I don't spend the weekends worrying about his business. Uh, I bleed with them. If Hmm. they lose, I bleed with them. If they win, I celebrate with them. Hmm. And so it was everything I wanted out of this, but it was in private startups, mm-hmm. not public, big public companies, which is a big, big difficulty in the last 10 years. You can't do what you want to do in a public company. It's just, but the offers kept coming and then they, you know, I stayed at Kleiner 13 years and, you know, it's like you get to a, an age and you say the offers stop coming. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, so, um, and then, uh, and then uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, formed my own firm. Mm. Great Point Ventures, and uh, so two partners that I thought would I re- I would recruit to Kleiner came to me and said, "Would you like to start a firm and hmm. do it the way we?" They were both CEOs. I was on both of their boards. They're both serial entrepreneurs, uh, and they said we would like to practice venture capital old school like you do. Hmm. And how's that going so far? How how has it been? Really well. So there's twenty investments so far in the first fund. Uh, fund is up considerably. Hmm. Uh, we've done, we do thesis-based investing. So we basically figure out the pain point. You know, where's the pain in the enterprise? Where's the pain in life sciences? Where's the pain? And we have all the technologies everybody else has available to them. And we basically go out in the, in the market looking for a great entrepreneur that's trying to solve that problem. Hmm. And if we can't, we incubate the company. Hmm. And so most of the companies we've done are thesis-based. Hmm. We came up with the idea, and we go talk to an entrepreneur about pursuing that idea, and they develop the technology. And so we're the only venture capitalist in uptake in Chicago. There's hmm. a great company doing preventive, uh, predictive analytics. Uh, we invested in a great database company doing GPU-accelerated in-memory databases hmm. uh, that distributes databases and has a speed of 100 to 1,000 times Oracle and, and um, HANA. Um, we've done a lot of AI, machine learning. We've also done a bunch in the life science hmm. world. We've hmm. done a bunch in food and nutrition. Hmm. So, it's, so it's almost it's, like having, in a way, kind of your own little startup in a way as well. It's, in a way. Exactly. It's, uh, it's $220 million of capital. Uh, that's uh, three general partners and a group of 10 of us. And... Uh, and it's going to stay small. Hmm. Next fund will be 250 max. Hmm. Well, Ray, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time. I'd love to check in with you in a year or two and see how your, your venture firm is doing. Uh, you're welcome. I'd love to tell you all about it, of course. This Thank is Richard you. Chu and Ray Lane. Thanks.